It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Tuesday and welcome to today's edition of the Football Social Daily. But despite finding ourselves right at the start of the week, there is absolutely no slowing down, particularly here at FSD Towers, because the Champions League is back, back in business. Manchester City and Liverpool both in action tonight as Pep faces up to his old friend. Yes, Lionel Messi up against Pep as Pep goes for third time lucky. How will he get on? We will let you know. But that's all to come in part two of the show. In part three, it's Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp looking to put that Brentford roller coaster to the back of his mind as the Reds go to Porto. But more importantly, Before talking about that, we are going to be reviewing last night's Monday night action, the M23 Derby, or if you're not familiar with motorways, the A23 Derby, or just the plain old motorway Derby, if you've got no idea where any of these roads actually are. Right, spoilers were shared, as we know. You could could just say it it wasn't a Derby at all, it was just a normal game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Do you know what? Put the ordinance started like... You know when you meet your family for Christmas and you don't really know what to talk about and the first conversation you have is the route they took to get there? It feels like the podcast has started off that way. Well, I took the A23, then that joined the M23. Oh, did you go past the post office? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not a post office anymore. It's a bank now. Indeed, indeed. Listen, put, put the audience survey maps away. Forget about motorways. You know, if you want to know where a little chef is, just Google it. Right, spoils were shared at Selhurst Park in the derby that shall not be named. Brighton snatched themselves a late one-all draw at Crystal Palace. Right, let's talk about the football. Let's get stuck into it. My name is Fergal Brennan and those two little voices that you heard, you probably recognise as joining me today. We have the boss man, Jim Salverson. Jim, how's things? All good, thank you. Great stuff. And we also have our resident magpie, Marley Anderson. Marley, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, guys. How are you? 
Very good, very good. Right, so Monday night action, that's where we're going to get ourselves started. Crystal Palace 1, Brighton 1. Jim, obviously the big talking point before this game was that Brighton, I can't quite believe I'm going to say this, would have gone top of the Premier League table if they'd won, but they didn't. Just a point, that means they end the weekend in sixth. But on the balance of the game, this is probably a bit rough on Palace because they created more chances, they had more possession, and for probably 65, 70 minutes of the game, they, they dominated. But the old adage of, if you don't finish your chances... You don't win football matches. And they played in front of Brighton in the opening 45. Wolf Sahar got himself a penalty. Patrick Vieira made a couple of changes in the second half, looked to get some pace in behind. And Odson Edward, Jordan Ayew and, and Wolf Sahar himself were all guilty of missing chances. Um, and that's probably what decided the game and let Brighton back into it. Yeah, on the balance of it, you'd say Palace probably deserved the victory. And certainly in the first half, they absolutely dominated Brighton. But Brighton did enough in the second half to contain Palace. They didn't quite look quite as effective despite those changes from Vieira. And Brighton were able to contain them without necessarily offering too much going forward at the other end. I think it, it's easy in these games to kind of go, oh, it's an unfair result. Palace deserved more from the game. But how many times do we say that about Brighton last season when they played brilliant football and didn't quite get the result they needed? So on the balance of it, I mean, there's that old cliche that football kind of evens itself out over the course of a season. Maybe in this case, not over the course of a season, but over the course of a couple of seasons. Brighton, certainly, you wouldn't begrudge them a little bit of luck for this game and at the end of the day that goal by Neil Mope at the end that's enough to win the, the touch involved to loft that over the Palace keeper that deserves to win any game and looking at their record Marley when you go back to Palace from seasons gone by under Roy Hodgson they're not the most exciting they're not full of goals last season 41 goals scored in 38 games that's just creeping over one goal per game that illustrates where they were as a as an attacking force last season and that's again become the situation this time round because as good as they were last night and they kept the ball really well and they looked positive they just do not score enough goals and even when the chances fall their way those attacking players just don't finish them off yeah that's um that's going to be where they they fall apart or or rise up this season I think because it's one thing there's like there's two main challenges for Palace one is playing better football and creating more chances and the second thing is actually finishing those chances mm. because you know last season they didn't score many goals Benteke was very wasteful um, Zahar did what he could but his, his sort of conversion rate was never the best um, Jordan Ayew is just you know he's more likely to miss than score and then you see the like last night proved that their football is getting better they're getting better in possession they they look more lively um Conor Gallagher has given them something mid <coughs> excuse me Conor Gallagher has given them something in midfield which they were lacking which is energy and drive and and quality in in the in the sort of middle third and he links them together but then you know ultimately the chances fall to to AU for example he had a one on one which mm. was brilliantly made by Gallagher and then passed on by Edward and he misses it, and it's like, well, it's one thing creating the chances. It's now up to the players to take those chances because if you if you miss those chances, you know you might get stung at the end of the game. And while Palace probably deserved the win, um, in in the sort of level of of the way things went, you could probably say they deserved to to get stung, but with all the the chances that they missed, because if you're missing chances like that, you can't expect to to see out a game one nil because you're always susceptible to something happening at the end like it was just one hopeful long punt really it wasn't wasn't much to deal with they completely switched off and more pay applies a finish which is 
kind of ironic because Morpé is a is another one of the strikers that usually misses three chances and then scores <laughs> scores a fourth. But if fair play, he's, he's he's lifted it over Gaeta absolutely brilliantly, um, and and nicked a point for um, for Brighton. So. That's that's what Palace have got to do now this season. It's one thing playing well, but you've you've got to start checking your chances, otherwise you, it's going to be the, a case of the same old. And when you look at some of the top scorers over the last few seasons, four seasons under Roy Hodgson, Jim, Milivojevic has got it twice, the bulk of them have been penalties. Wolf Sahar got 11 last season. It's not exactly tearing it up. They are devoid of creativity and someone that can pick a lock. Conor Gallagher, you guys touched on the show yesterday, showed again last night what he can do. He's very, very good on the ball. He won the penalty for Wolves Zaha to get that goal for Palace. And despite the fact that you can rely on Zaha to an extent to get a certain amount of goals per season, you do get the sense that Palace are already heavily relying on Gallagher. He's a lone player, but if he doesn't click into gear and he doesn't remain consistent right the way throughout the season, they have got a worrying, worrying lack of uh, lack of quality. I think it's a bit early to make that call, actually, because I think Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace is very different to Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace. And I've actually been relatively impressed with the imprint that Vieira has put on Palace. It's not like when De Boer came in, they tried to play attacking football, didn't win a game. He's managing to develop the type of football that they're playing and also pick up the odd result here and there. So you're right, they do lack a little bit of a quality in terms of finishing. And I think Jordan Ayo's goal scoring is record at Palace is absolutely terrible it's not like 10 goals in the three seasons he's been there I can't remember the exact stats but he's certainly not the man you want to be finishing your chances but the addition of Edouard into that attacking lineup, and you've got Eze now playing in midfield obviously injured at the moment Zahar is still in amongst their 10th season at Crystal Palace and he's always reliable of goals so the pressure's being taken off Zahar slightly but Gallagher has been the shining light in that midfield for Crystal Palace so far this season. So direct, so fast, he's got quick feet, he looks like he's got everything he needs, all the attributes. And I remember the Palace game against West Ham a couple of weeks back when they were 2-0 down and he changed that game, he turned it around and he pulled them back to get a point. So, yeah, it's interesting how much impact he has on that Palace team. But he is a lone player. And so at some point he will be going back to his parent club because I can't see, if he does get a move at the end of his loan period, you can't necessarily being pa- see Palace being the team that he goes to. So it's, it, it, there's a balance between going, yeah, this is the guy we want. He is the attacking focal point in that midfield. He is the man who's going to change the phases of play. But then you don't want to be over-reliant on that individual because you know at some point, if you're looking like Patrick Vieira is to develop Crystal Palace as a footballing side... You don't want to be too reliant on a player that at some point is going to leave your squad. So they need to find strength and depth elsewhere, but they've got an absolute diamond in Gallagher for the time being, and he is absolutely firing. From a midfielder that played well to a midfielder that didn't play at all, and that was probably the uh, missing link for Brighton last night, Marley, and that's Yves Bissouma. Just looking through the Brighton lineup before the game and obviously going back through the numbers tonight... Graham Potter had no choice without Basuma to kind of go front foot forward and play more of an attacking midfield setup. Adam Lallana, Pascal Gross, and Leandro Trossard. And you look at those names dotted around through the team, none of them are going to put a tackle in, none of them are going to look to stem the tide of Palace. And without Basuma, James McCarthy, Milivojevic, and, and Gallagher in a more advanced role just rode roughshod right the way through that Brighton midfield. He demonstrated, like a lot of good players do, that. 
his absence demonstrates how important he is to that team. And without him in the middle of the pitch, Brighton were just out of sorts and they needed that last last gasp intervention from Morpai to, to grab themselves a point. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, he was the sort of his absence was the key to to why Palace had the better of the game. I think um, he's very important to how Brighton play. I mentioned it yesterday about his his constant pressing um, is is really like a big part of of Brighton's identity and a big part of their half uh, their good start to this first little period of the season. So um, when you don't have him in your team, you look at the centre midfield and you say. Like who's going to track Conor Gallagher? Because that would be Eve Basuma if he was there. Like if Basuma is there, Gallagher makes whenever Gallagher makes a break, Basuma goes with him, and Gallagher has to pass it or try and go around him. And you know he's he's got a, a genuine opponent there. But instead, he's got Adam Lallana, who's you know not as you say not exactly known for his tackling. Also got booked after half an hour, so that pretty much uh, took him out of. Of the uh, of the sort of race to to stop Gallagher or whoever breaking through, and he got Pascal Gross alongside him, who's a, a passer, a, a playmaker, almost a number ten. And you see it with the goal, you know, um, he goes flying into the box and he looks really dangerous. He's going full pelt at, at guys that are just waiting for him to come into the box, and Trossard ends up being the one who says, "All right, well, I'll try and tackle him because you're not all gonna, no one else is doing it." And he puts in a typical attacking players uh, challenge where he just ends up barging him out of the way and giving away mm. a, a, a definite penalty mm. so that that was where the the game was won I thought as soon as it's in the lineups I thought I don't really fancy Brighton without him because he's become such an important player um, and I don't think they have enough um, goals to sort of compensate like they're never going to win a game 4-3 and you know offset Basuma's absence by scoring loads more goals than the opponents and just making it an, a, a basketball game. So I, I, I did worry about that at first and it, it proved to be true with uh, with Palace nearly getting all three points and ending up with, uh, with a draw. Was this a fair result, Jim? You look at some of the numbers, the balance of the game, the last 20 minutes or so, Brighton did come back into it and the end stats are very, very even. Brighton just about edged it in possession, shots on target, shots off target and possession in the final third. And the old adage, the old cliche comes back to this idea of that one moment of quality. It was a bit of a hoof forward, but that little touch from Morpai just to knock it over Guaita's head was probably the difference because you couldn't really see Ayu or Edouard doing that at the other end. Was this fair when it all gets shaked out at the end of 90 minutes? I think Palace will be disappointed, but like I say, these things do tend to even themselves out and this is Brighton grasping some of the luck that they didn't grasp last season by winning a game that maybe they probably deserve to lose. And like I say, Mopé's finish at the end. I mean, you've got to ask questions of the clearance from the keeper in the first place because that ball should have never come back at him as quickly on 94 minutes. You're looking to get it into the corner and waste those final few seconds there. So you've got to ask mm. questions all over the pitch in terms of Palace and their concentration in those last few minutes. But Mopé's finish was a deft touch and he's been impressive this season. Brighton Marley says they haven't really got the goals in them to do a basketball-esque score more than the opposition and you're probably right but he's up, up there at the top of the uh, Premier League top goal scorers charts at the moment which is obviously capped by uh, Mikel Antonio we should point out he is currently the Premier League's top goal scorer which is absolutely <laughs> baffling but that's the situation we find ourselves in and I think he's a player who looks to be 
in a rich vein of form, Mopé, at the moment, more so than he has been in previous seasons. So we could see him getting much more goals than he does normally. What I would say, though, about the whole situation was the fuss that the Palace fans created over Mopé's celebration at the end of that game, cupping his ears towards the Palace fans and it all getting a little bit heated. I mean... What is going on when people are getting triggered by a, f- a footballer cupping their ears towards you? These pe- these grown men in the stadium getting upset and getting <laughs> angry about that. They're probably the same people that are calling other people snowflakes for their view on veganism or environmental impact or something. And here they are getting bent out of shape by someone putting their hands next to their ears. Grow up. Ridiculous. But no, <laughs> go back to your original question. I think Palace will be disappointed, but... At the end of the day, it's Brighton that reacted better in the second half and came back into the game. And as you say, this, after Palace's dominance in the first half, I think Brighton will probably argue they deserved a point, even though they maybe didn't. Yeah, probably. Right, we're going to call it there for the motorway derby, or what I'm going to call the Glen Murray Love Triangle derby uh, for when they play each other later on in the season. We're going to take a quick break. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so too. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're going to let Jim do some fist shaking once again after the break because we are talking Champions League. Manchester City against PSG coming up next. Pep reunited with Messi. Surely, surely it couldn't go wrong. We're going to be talking about that in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. Right then, we are talking Champions League. Before the break, it was Monday night action as Crystal Palace played out a one-all draw with Brighton. But we're moving on to the big leagues. The Champions League European football is back. And the big story this week, Marley, I'm going to go to you first on this. Pep and Leo back in business. Manchester City up against PSG. Obviously, recent bout between them in last season's semi-final, which saw City get through and power on to the final. But there was no Messi in the PSG team. Now, Guardiola always gets asked about Messi. He got asked about him in the summer. Were City going to make a move for him? Did he want him to go to City? And he's so complimentary about Messi. Every time he talks about him, you see his eyes light up. Every time he sees him, he gives him a big hug. I imagine he's probably going to give him a big hug tonight as well. But... Once again, they find themselves on opposite sides and Messi's got a really, really good record against Pep since he left Barcelona. He scored against him when he was manager of Bayern Munich and he scored against him when he's City manager. Now, given the fact that they're obviously friends and a huge amount of mutual respect, this is a difficult one to call because Messi is almost like that friend that you bump into, that you're pleased to see, but then he tells you how fantastic his life is and you get the impression that he's not started the PSG brilliantly, he hasn't scored for them yet, but tonight would be a perfect time for him just to remind Pep just how good he is. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's that sort of threatening um, headline that, that's, uh, that's sort of... Um dominating the, the pre-match like if he scores and you know the fact that he hasn't scored yet I feel like you know when people say he's sort of ruined his legacy by going to PSG I mean why not ruin it more by scoring your first goal for them against the, the man that you achieved so much so much success with with Guardiola it kind of fits that narrative um, whether he'll play or not I don't know because he didn't play at the weekend he had a didn't get a calf injury but I, f- I think he's back in training now so he, he might be part of the squad maybe, maybe he'll come off the bench or something I'm not sure but you can certainly expect him to play some part 
um, especially with it being at home. He hasn't had to travel and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. That's the narrative. That's what everyone wants um, to see. You know, everyone wants to see Messi um, against the, against the best teams in the world on the best and biggest stage because he obviously got frustrated with it at Barcelona, realised they weren't uh, they weren't going to get through and they weren't the force they once were. So it's nice to see him um, have a crack at it with with PSG because one thing PSG have been for for too many years is a bunch of individuals rather than a team. Um, and there's still there's always little cracks and little headlines knocking around with PSG that things always aren't sort of everyone's not always on the same page. So it'd be interesting to see how uh, how they put up with Man City, who've just come off probably the best performance of the season against Chelsea. Obviously, the story, Jim, concerning Pep and Leo, and maybe they might have a little cuddle, maybe they might not. The big one really focusing is last season, the semi-final. These two teams are built to win the Champions League. Their entire objective every season is focused towards winning the Champions League. Wild amounts of money have been spent by both of them, and neither of them have done it. Last season's game was kind of pegged as a bit of a, a crossroads because PSG are under so much pressure to win the Champions League and obviously Pep and City are under so much pressure to go on and win it. City got themselves through last time but then lost to Chelsea in the final. PSG got themselves into the final the year before and lost to Bayern Munich. So this cloud does still hang over both teams because they're both wildly and acutely aware of the fact that their entire objective to win the Champions League still hasn't been achieved and that will be on the minds of both managers and both sets of players tonight. Yeah, I wouldn't read too much into the Pep versus Messi stats because Messi does have a great history against Pep Guardiola and his teams. But at the same time, Lionel Messi has a great history against every single manager and every <laughs> single team he's ever played because hey, he has spent Steve his entire... Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a reason for that, Marley. It's nothing to do with <laughs> Steve's tactical mastermind either. Um, so let's not read too much into that. But you're right, there is a rivalry between these two in terms of their race to win the Champions League and right now if you look at the pair of them you've got to say that Manchester City are leading that race not because of the personnel they have after all PSG have got three of the greatest attacking players of the last decade in their squad but because I don't think PSG have the manager they need to go deep into the Champions League now I think Mauricio Pochettino has been hugely underwhelming at PSG considering the personnel he has at his disposal in Ligue 1 last season he was disappointing in the Champions League this season previously he's not looked particularly strong either as for Manchester City you're right I mean as much as Pep Guardiola denies that there is a desperation or a demand for him to win the Champions League that is exactly what he wants that is exactly what the owners want and if he leaves Man City again as much as the City fans deny the fact they want to they don't deny the fact that they want to win the Champions League they claim it's not important that the Carabao Cup dominance is the most vital thing about Pep's reign at City I find it really difficult to believe that because it is the pinnacle of European football at the moment and I think Pep Guardiola if he doesn't win at City it's I've said this before, it's difficult to call his tenure a failure, but surely he's been given all the tools that he needs to win it. And the thing that stood between Pep Guardiola and winning the Champions League at the moment is Pep Guardiola. When he gets into those vital positions, when he gets into those crunch matches and then makes inexplicable tactical choices. So he's only got himself to blame if he doesn't. But at the same, we're really, this is the beginning of a journey rather than the end of it. We're still in the group stages. And actually, the reality is, if either of these teams lose this game tonight, it doesn't too, do too much damage to their chances of qualifying 
for the next stage of the Champions League. Manchester City, they won their first game, so they could easily lose this. PSG, yeah, they drew the first game, but still, you'd fancy, even if they lose this to Manchester City, you'd fancy them to go through as one of the top two in Group A. Just want to go back to City for a second, Marley, because all these attacking players that Jim mentioned that PSG have got, Mbappe, Messi, Neymar, Di Maria, it's it's an absolute blessing to have all those players in one team and they've got the ability to just tear certain sides to bits. But there's so much talk of what City can do going forward. They're really impressive against Chelsea in, in the way that they went about their business. But defensively, they've been excellent again so far this season. If you take the Leipzig Champions League game out where they let in three and it was a bit of a, a strange one on the night, they've only conceded one goal in the Premier League so far this season and that was against Tottenham on the open day they've kept five clean sheets in the Premier League since then and John Stones has maybe been eked out of the team a little bit Eimerick Laporte has come back in and kind of permanently looks to partner Ruben Diaz at least in the short term this season given the fact that PSG have got <clears throat> all these players and the ability to score all of that all of those goals how are they going to fare against what's been a rock solid City defence? I'm really interested to see how how the sort of balance of the game is because the, when when City played Chelsea at the weekend, um, I was expecting Chelsea to have more possession. I thought it'd be sort of 60-40, um, maybe 55-45 and very sort of even. But Chelsea just like completely surrendered possession and, and tried to hit on the counter-attack by playing... You know, the quickest striker, Werner, and, and the most, obviously, the, the main striker, Lukaku. So... I feel like I'm in, intrigued to see whether PSG tr- try and dominate the ball like they do every week or whether they think, well, we've got one of the quickest strikers in the world in Mbappe and one of the best playmaking strike, well, two of the best playmaking attackers if uh, if they, if Messi plays in, in Messi and Neymar. So I'm, wo- I'm wondering if they, they'll try and hit on the counter-attack a little bit more, but having seen it not work for Chelsea, I feel like it's better to, to try and take them on and, and trust what you do week in, week out, and try and see how strong you are, see if you can dominate the ball against Man City, and see if you are good enough to, to cope with their pressing game and um, the, the constant pressure that they put you under. So it'd be in- I'm interested to see how, how the whole balance of it goes because both teams have got the talent to sort of pass around any other team out there, but usually you see one crumble and say, OK, well, we'll try and hit you on the counter-attack, but... It hasn't worked for anyone so far against Man City this season. They've been superb at the back. Um, Diaz and Laporte are, are probably the two, you know, two of the top five centre backs in the league. Um, two of the top ten in the world, you would say probably. So you've got your work cut out there. And even without a recognised left back and Cancelo doing a job there, he still looked brilliant. Um, and Kyle Walker's pace and defensive ability gets you out of a lot of situations as well. So it's not exactly easy. To, um, to break down Man City but we'll see if PSG can do it because they don't play against teams good in, as good as Man City week in week out mm. and that's where that's a, that's literally the only reason I think they yeah. haven't won the, won the Champions League in the past three or four years because they haven't got that um, that that sort of pattern of playing against amazing sides that, that can beat them in on any given day they play against Teams that roll over most weeks and teams that try and defend deep and when they when they play someone who dominates possession and tries to press them um, for constantly for ninety minutes and have quality players, they 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 have to work it out on the fly and that's asking a lot of any team, mm. even with a team with that's, that's packed to the rafters with world class players. 
Um, Jim, just going to flip back to PSG before we take a break. So I want to pick your brains on this. It is a balancing act. Um, obviously, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, big egos, big situations for Pochettino to manage. And obviously, you've got a lot of experience that here at the Football Social Daily. You've got your own front three, me, Marley and Niall, Messi, Neymar and, uh, and Mbappe, albeit a bit of a pound shop version. You've got to balance our egos and make sure that no one's getting upset. And there is issues in Paris. Uh, Mbappe wasn't happy at the weekend with Neymar. Furious that he wasn't passing him the ball. He was only passing to Messi. Messi got subbed off the week before and had a couple of words with Pochettino because he was annoyed it is a difficult act to balance all of these things he's got these incredible players that are obviously very attack focused and he's under the pressure of having to win major trophies you've got a lot of experience as I say in this in balancing winning teams how is he going to go about it to make sure they stay on track I'm desperately trying to think of who I'd compare you three to as a front three and I I've don't given think it there's well, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure I'd be looking at Premier League level. I'm trying to think of Aldershot Town's lineup at the moment to see if I can find <laughs> a decent comparison. I mean, it is. I, I kind of get what you're saying in terms of oh, how do you balance these superstars? How do you balance these egos? It's a nice problem to have, though, isn't it? Having yeah. Neymar, Mbappe, and Lionel Messi. And do you know what? If if, if Mbappe's having a go at Neymar for not passing to him and passing to Neymar instead. Do you know what? If I was on a football pitch, I'd be looking to pass to Neymar uh, to Messi at every single opportunity. So I think it's one of those situations where you've got to look at the manager and how he ha- how he is in terms of managing those egos and in terms of managing those big personalities. And potentially that's where Mauricio Pochettino comes up short again because he hasn't really had that in his managerial career. He's not really been in a situation where he's been managing a team of superstars, a team of egos. I mean, you look at how someone like Alex Ferguson did that back in the day and there was no doubt in that Manchester United team in the mid-90s, it was full of superstars. They knew who was the biggest superstar in that team and he was sitting on the bench and he was in charge. And whether Mauricio Pochettino has that same level of authority at PSG is another question. And we've seen Neymar before move clubs. I mean, part of the theory as to why he left Barcelona in the first place was because he wasn't the superstar. He wasn't the main man. So maybe he's feeling that pressure again. Maybe he's feeling a little bit of a lack of love, but it's up to Mauricio Pochettino to get a grip of those players and go, look, just enjoy this. Just take it for what it is. We have the most fearsome attacking lineup in football at the moment, certainly in Europe. So let's celebrate that. Let's play the football that we know we can play and put those differences aside. It's a difficult thing to do as a manager. And I think the question marks are there as to whether Pochettino has that in his locker. There you go. Sound advice from Jim Pochettino, if you're listening. You know, you could do a lot worse than listening to what Jim has to say. Right, call this for us. Marley, we're going to go to you first. PSG against Man City. Pep against Messi. How's this going to go down tonight? Um, I think I think it'll be a draw. 2-2. Two, two. Messi to score? Uh, uh... No, I think he'll I think he'll start on the bench and he'll come on and not have enough time to to score. Okay, Jim Marley's going for the controversial uh, shout that Lionel Messi won't have an impact on a, a football match. What are you going with? I agree actually. I don't think Messi Ooh. is going to start this one, and I also agree it's going to be a draw. But I think it's got nil nil written all over it. This one, it's one of those games that there's so much <laughs> hype about the attacking quality the on the pitch. Most watchable nil nil ever. It's going to be a nil-nil. Mark my words. Get a tenner on it. 
okay, fair enough. Yeah, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. The uh, immovable object against the irresistible force. Right, we're going to take a quick break, but the Champions League previews continue in part three. We're going to be talking about Liverpool. They are heading off to Porto. We're going to be getting stuck into that in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. We are talking Champions League. Up next is Liverpool away at Porto in tonight's action. Manchester City, we've already covered before the break, they've got a heavyweight clash in Paris up against PSG. But, Jim, Liverpool, it's been an interesting weekend for Liverpool because 3 all against Brentford, it was a cracking game for a neutral to watch. End-to-end, Marley made the basketball comparison uh, earlier on in the show and this was probably a fantastic example of this. Nobody was really bothered about the defending everyone was bothered about scoring goals but at full time there was one man who was bothered about defending and that was Jurgen Klopp Um, he came out and said he's not concerned about his defence in terms of individual errors but they simply cannot be conceding this amount of goals if they want to be where they're aiming to be this season given the fact that we know Liverpool have got this fantastic attacking lineup Salah, Jota, Sadio Mane they can score goals for fun we know that at the back last season it was a little bit of a case of anyone who's hanging around Anfield would get a go if they could play centre-half. Now they've got their first-choice defenders back. Van Dijk, Gomez, both back from injury, both back fit. But they're still conceding quite a few goals. And that will be a concern for Liverpool moving forward this season because, as we talked about in the previous part, Manchester City are so solid defensively and so are Chelsea. Have they got a problem defensively this season? I'm not entirely sure they have. And the Brentford game... I know is evidence to contradict what I've just said. <laughs> that they have got a defensive and the problem. Milan game, and the Milan game. But that's kind of it, isn't it? I think they've only conceded four games, four four times so far in the Premier League, and three of them were against Brentford. So I'm not sure it's quite panic stations crisis yet. I think Liverpool have always had since Jurgen Klopp came in. They've had an emphasis on the attack. They like their fullbacks to get forward. And if you're losing your fullbacks going forward, that puts a lot of pressure on your holding midfielders to protect the back line. Maybe that didn't happen quite as much against Brentford, but also I think that was a cup final for Brentford. I think even even Tony had an absolutely astounding game really caused Virgil van Dijk and was it Gomez he was a, a partnered with at the weekend caused uh, them Matip. huge pro- Matip was it so caused them huge problems but I don't think there's a necessarily a problem with Liverpool at the back they've got their key players back and p- potentially you could argue they're short of match fitness slightly maybe a bit rusty after missing so much of last season but i I have no doubt that I don't think there is a question about Liverpool defensively at the moment. I don't think we can cast those aspersions yet. And Liverpool are always going to be a team that rely on their front players to score goals rather than maybe their defence to keep balls out of the net. So I can see what Jurgen Klopp's saying. He's not worried about the individual areas. He's worried about the defensive unit. But I... Jurgen Klopp says a lot of stuff he doesn't really believe. After post-matches, he kind of tends to deflect rather than actually highlight what the issues are, I don't think he'll be too concerned about Liverpool defensively going into this one. 
Looking at the lineup, Marley, in terms of who will play tonight against Porto, Trent Alexander-Arnold against Brentford did have a bit of a rough time. He was he was targeted by Brentford, and, and two of the goals that eventually got Brentford a point came down his side. There's big, big rumours circulating that he hasn't travelled with the squad, uh, whether it's a minor injury or whether Klopp's looked to take him out of the firing line. And based on the Milan game, he had a similar experience where he found it really tough going. Milan looked to attack that space that he um, leaves open when he bombs forward. Klopp moved him out of the team, played James Milner against Crystal Palace, gave Trent a bit of a rest. And Klopp is the master of that, of packaging this idea that, no, you're not being dropped, you're just being rotated. And he does that very well. Pep Guardiola does it very well at, at City. Do you think this could be an ideal opportunity for Pep to say, listen, Trent, we've got City at the weekend. We really, really need you in that game. I know that Milner's such a solid character or whoever comes in at right back is probably going to be Milner. They can do a job away from home at Porto and get us a positive result. You go and focus on City this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you'll probably see that exact thing happen, to be honest. I think you know, probably see Simicas at left-back as well um, on, a, on a sort of similar uh, logic think he's been really good as well so you're looking at Milner and saying you can you'd never look at James Milner and say oh I worry about him you know you'd <laughs> stick him in goal probably and think it, you know he's not going to make any huge errors because he's just one of them he's Mr Dependable he has been for bloody 15 years now so he's um he'll, he'll probably come in and and yeah I mean they they do need to to think about City at the weekend um, this title race is so quick um, and so like blood and thunder that you know you do have to think ahead when you can I think Porto a decent team but you should be you should be beating them really they, they don't really get past the quarterfinals too often mm. they, they, mm. they often don't get out of the group sometimes you know what I mean it's it's one of them where they they it's almost similar to PSG. They they don't play against enough um, quality to to then turn up and beat a really really good team. So your concern's Liverpool... not really a, a, your concern with Porto isn't really stopping them, is it? It's scoring against them, and we saw against um, Atleti in the first Champions League game, Porto. I mean, that was, that was just two immovable objects up against each other. So I think that's the concern for Liverpool. It's not so much how do you contain Porto. It's more how do you break them down. Yeah, and that's like that's that's the key to it, I suppose. You know, probably uh, trusting nobody to get into a fight with Pepe because he'll be trying to fight everybody that comes within <laughs> within ten meters of him, probably. Um, but yeah, that's that's them. That's them in a nutshell, I suppose. You've got to break them down. But again, that that you know, it still allows people to be rotated, um, especially in the defense, because we don't think they're going to give Liverpool too many problems. We could be wrong; they could could play out the skin tonight, but. You know you don't uh, you don't expect it, and you should say Liverpool should get through. Probably bring Firmino back into the team ahead of the weekend, give him a start, trying to get him some uh, some minutes in his legs, so he can play a bigger part of the weekend. Um, and yeah, so I think Liverpool should should seize this opportunity where they can and and think about uh, the, the the games they've got coming up as well. Let's call this one. Jim, obviously Liverpool were expecting them to make a few changes, probably at full-back with Trent and Robertson being rested, maybe some new faces in attack to get some minutes in the tank ahead of City this weekend. How do you think this one's going to go down? Liverpool away at Porto. Porto have never beaten Liverpool in European competition and I don't think that's going to change. I think it'll be fairly comfortable for Liverpool tonight. I'm saying 2-0. 
Okay, uh, Marley, I'm going to throw this over to you. I know you're going to be disappointed because one of your old heroes is not playing for Porto tonight. Pepe is, but Chancel Mbemba is suspended. He got sent off against Atletico Madrid. We know that's going to leave an enormous hole in the Porto back line, so that will probably give uh, Liverpool a bit of a chance. Hey, he's literally one of them players that you just you you wish him well because he never got enough of a chance at us. He used to he used to come to uh, to games dressed in a tuxedo, which just got him cult hero status on yeah. on Tyneside. Just well, with the bow tie and stuff, or just the yeah. tux. Yeah, wow. yeah. Google it. Uh, Google Chancel and Bemba suit, and it'll just pop up. Um, he used to, yeah, he used to come to. I don't basically. I don't think we got him a tracksuit <laughs> in time. So he went, what should I wear? And he went, that's ah, black and white. It. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, good. It is not playing, but never mind. Um, I think Liverpool should should get this. I'm probably going to say three three one. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, that's a brilliant story about Chancel and Ben, but lending a touch of class to uh, things around St. James's Park. I can't see Steve Bruce, unfortunately, uh, sticking a tux on. I think if he put a tux on, it'd still look like he had uh, a cabbage <laughs> for a head, unfortunately. Right, gents, Steve, we're going to call... Steve Bruce thinks a cummerbund is a type of uh, kebab. <laughs> yeah, he probably does. I can see him stood there in the chip shop, deciding what to order, and then going for uh, a large cummerbund with extra chilli sauce. Right, enough about kebabs, enough about motorways, enough about Steve Bruce. Guys, we're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily today. Jim, Marley, thanks so much for your time. Nice one, Fergal. No problem. Great stuff, guys. And don't forget, here on Football Social Daily, we have a daily podcast every 24 hours, a fresh episode to get yourself stuck into. If you click subscribe on this one, you can get a brand new one as soon as it is ready. We'll talk to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.